Hey, what's going on, podcast listeners? Thanks so much for coming by. Just a reminder that A Medic's Mind, the book, is available now wherever books are sold. If your particular bookstore doesn't have it, they can get it. I promise you. It's available on Amazon Canada, Amazon US, Amazon UK, and globally. You can get it at Chapters Indigo. Wherever books are sold, you can get A Medic's Mind. As always, I sincerely appreciate the support, and I can't wait to inform you guys that yes, A Medic's Mind is becoming an audiobook and will be released soon. More details to follow. But until then, thank you for the support. gentlemen welcome to a medic's mind the podcast thank you very much for being here merry christmas this is the christmas episode of a medic's mind the podcast now i say it's the christmas episode not in the fact that i have a christmas story for you but i do have a gift to give you it's a it is a free chapter of the upcoming audiobook a medic's mind Today I'm going to be reading for you one of the chapters. It is uh, exactly formatted for the audiobook. It is going to be in the audiobook, and uh, it is all you know edited, spliced together. Things are there. Uh, it is as you will hear it when you buy or purchase the audiobook. Uh, and I wanted to give away a free chapter just to give you guys an indication of what you can expect from the rest of the book. Um, and I decided to go with a lighter story just because it is a Christmas, uh, you know, episode the, not what I'm reading is a Christmas story, but this, this episode of a medic's mind, the podcast is a Christmas episode and I wanted to, uh, keep it nice and light. So I have a funny story for you from the book. Chapter six sting is what I'm going to be reading for you. And I hope you guys enjoy it. But before I do, I got a couple of things to tell you about. Uh, one thing I want to tell you about is uh, a, a while back, I connected with a guy on social media who is, uh, he goes by the name, and here, let me uh, bring it up so I get it absolutely correct. Uh, it goes, at not Tom Cruise official. At not Tom Cruise official. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because he did a, uh, a shout out for me. Um, where he recorded, uh, you know, kind of a scripted message uh, about the the website and the book, and uh, <clears throat> I'm I'm talking about him because I'm actually going to be sending him a copy of the book, but also because this guy, the inflections in his voice, the timber in his verbiage, uh, is is uncanny to that of Tom Cruise. It's amazing. You have to go to his website and you have to go to his Instagram and check him out. Go to his Instagram at not Tom Cruise official. It, it'll blow you away. The His mannerisms, everything he does blows you. Like It's insane to me how this guy can do what he does. But uh, I, I through the course of kind of you know, navigating through his social media and watching his stories and, and everything, you can see he's just a really genuine human being. And uh, so 
that's it's it's been really cool to to have that uh, as part of my medic's mind legacy is to have his talents uh, promulgate the book. And uh, I'm going to play it for you now. I'm going to play play for you the audio so you can hear exactly how good this guy is at sounding like Tom Cruise. I'm going to play it for you right now. Matt, Tom here. Tom Cruise. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Listen, I received a package this morning from MI6, real sensitive information, and I wasted no time in accepting this assignment. My friend, you wrote a book, okay, and it is now my mission to say one hell of a congratulations. Woo! <laughs> I mean, this is big. This is real big. I cannot wait to read a medic's mind in stores this fall, but until then, I'll just check out the stuff on your website, www.amedicsmind. Congratulations. Be well. I mean, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. That's insane. The guy is, the guy's insane. The talent this guy has, uh, mind blowing, absolutely mind blowing, blowing, blowing. It's mind blowing. That's when something that your bro does that is so incredulous, it blows your mind. Mind blowing. I don't fucking know. Anyway, uh, so yeah, there's that. And I, I want to get something off my chest and it's something that happens to me at therapy quite often. And this one isn't, I, 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 the reason I'm telling it to you is because it used to really irritate me and get me very angry. And now this particular incident just kind of made me chuckle a little bit. And, uh, and as I told it to a friend, they doubled over laughing, uh, thinking about it. So, uh, progress, progress being made in the introspective anger of Matthew. So at my therapist's office, there's an elevator and uh, her office is on the top floor of this building. And so oftentimes I take the elevator to said floor. And uh, there's there's so many encounters I have with other people that get on and the elevator is scheduled to go up because I've pressed the up button or somebody else has pressed the up button. But somebody will get onto the elevator and they will want to go down. And so they will proceed to incessantly press the down button or the basement button and become incredibly perplexed that it's not illuminating and they're not going down and they just can't seem to figure it out. Well, this happened again to me. Uh, last Thursday, I was at therapy and uh, I get onto the elevator after pressing the up button, the doors open, I get on, this lady gets on, she starts pressing the basement button, presses it once, kind of steps away, looks down, realizes it's not illuminated, presses it again, and uh, it's not illuminated. So the doors aren't closing because she's continuing to press the button, right? And I'm standing there hoping she's going to figure this out on her own. But uh, with the amount of times that she is fingering this button, it's like she is, you know, out on a prom date or she has no idea what the heck is going on with this elevator. So I take it upon myself to say, hey, um, <clears throat> uh, the, the elevator's uh, actually going up. And she turns and looks at me and she goes, yes, but I'd like to go to the basement. I'm like, I, I'm sure you do. However, the elevator is, is going to go up first and then down. And she says, well, I want to go up. And I'm like, I definitely don't doubt that you want to go down. However, this particular car that we're in right now is going to go up first because it's, it's already been scheduled to go up. So she looks at me and she presses the down button several more times with futility. And then she looks back at me and she goes, why is the elevator going up? And I said, uh, because I pressed the up button. And she goes, well, I'm pressing the down button. And I said, I can see that. And she says, so why isn't it going down? And I said, because we're going up. And she goes, but why? To which I said, we've been over this. <laughs> That's literally, we've been over this. I said that. That's exactly what came out of my mouth. 
And she kind of looks at me like I'm an asshole now. And I wasn't trying to be an asshole. It's just we really had gone over this. So I didn't want to go and have this conversation in perpetuity. I wanted to be able to just go to my appointment. So what does she do? Well, she breaks contact with me, eye contact, and proceeds to press the basement button several more times. <laughs> so I said, uh, unfortunately, ma'am, the elevator is not going to go down no matter how many times you press the button. We have to go up first and then and then the elevator will go down. To contextualize, if you had pressed the down button first and I wanted to go up, I would have to go down first before I could ascend to the floor of which I am trying to get to, which is number five, which is the floor that we are subsequently going to, unless along the way, people are pressing the button to have it stop on subsequent floors from ground to five. And that's basically ver verbatim what I said to her. And she goes, yes, but why would I want to go all the way up if all I need to do is go down one floor? And I said, I agree. You shouldn't go all the way up in order to go down one floor. You could take the stairs or uh, you could just wait for the elevator to come back down. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure what else to say. And she goes, well, this is stupid. And I said, I agree. <laughs> and she, she proceeds to get off the elevator. I think she's got it now. So the doors start to close. But the door doesn't have time to close all the way before it opens again. And why did it open again, you ask? Well, that's funny you should ask. Because... She pressed the down button <laughs> before the elevator had a chance to engage into its already scheduled mode of transportation, which is up, not down, but up. So the door is open and I'm still standing there and she looks at me and I look at her and I go, it's still, it's still going up. She goes, well, I hit the down key. And I said, I know, but the elevator hasn't moved yet. So it's not going to go down. And she goes, oh, this is ridiculous. And I'm like, ma'am. I don't know how else to explain the complexities of up and down to you, but I'd really like to go to my appointment now. <laughs> and she just looked at me like I had seven heads and she <gasps> the indignation <laughs> washed over her face. I am ashamed to say this, but it was thoroughly gratifying. <laughs> I can't help myself. I just, I didn't know what else to say. So some, yeah, okay. Sometimes things fall out of my mouth and yes, there probably was a nicer way to say it. I wasn't trying to be a dick, but oh my goodness, like what am I, how else do you explain? There's literally two methods of, of travel for this particular device known as an elevator. <laughs> and, and for as long as I can remember, I've been able to figure out and deduce that if a floor above the one that I want to go to is highlighted, chances are I'm not going to be able to get to the floor below Unless it's already ascending up there, you know, I'm not going to be able to go. I'm not going to, I can't change the direction of it. Okay. It's a simplistic design. Ascend, descend. It's fucking simple. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what do I know? I'm not a fucking engineer. Um, I'm just an angry guy going to therapy. Anyway, guys, uh, <laughs> that's, that's enough for me. I'm going to play this uh, this episode. Oh, also, uh, I should tell you that Pragmatic Paramedics, it's the other podcast I talked about um, in, in my intro of last uh, last episode, Pragmatic Paramedics, they're actually featuring me on, uh, on their Monday episode. Uh, so by the time you hear this, it's probably Monday. And... Um, uh, and, and yeah, they're going to be featuring me. So head over to pragmatic, uh, paramedics and you can take a listen to, uh, to what they got to talk about. I think they're going to be talking about, uh, post-traumatic stress and stuff like that, which is, 
uh, kind of the reason I'm featured. I don't want to give too much away because, you know, they, this is their episode and, uh, and I don't really uh, feel like infringing upon that. But uh, I think it'll be a great episode. You guys should go check it out. And uh, the episode before, the one they have out currently, you should definitely give that a listen. It's about a flight medic and his story. And it is... Uh, it, to say captivating would be to do an injustice to truly how uh, how mesmer- mesmerizing that story really is. So give it a listen and uh, and, and enjoy it. So uh, without further ado, I will give you Chapter 6, Sting, from A Medic's Mind, the audiobook. And this episode is sponsored by Winter Tickle Press. And her advertisement is coming up right now. This episode of A Medic's Mind is brought to you by Winter Tickle Press, a premier publishing house who specializes in non-fiction mental wellness books based on lived experiences. Titles include Save My Life School, Daily Lessons of Save My Life School, Brainstorm Revolution, and Stories Finding Your Wings, all available for order through Chapters Indigo, Barnes & Noble, and Amazon US, UK, and Canada. You can follow Winter Tickle Press on Facebook at Winter Tickle Press or find them on Twitter at Winter Tickle. Medic 1, you're responding. Code 4. Story time. Chapter 6. Sting. It's 2.30 a.m., and I wake with a start. My body is covered in a glistening sweat. I feel as though I should be standing at attention, listening to the deafening crack of rifle fire. After utilizing a few of the grounding techniques I have learned in therapy, I am able to reacclimate to the fact that I am home. The damage is done, though. My sheets are soiled with sweat, and my heart is running a marathon. I continue to gather my thoughts from a groggy haze and make my way to the shower. The water cleans my body, but it does not erase the nightmare. If only it were that easy. I return to my bedroom and strip it of its linens and place them into a laundry bag. My hands feel the damp fabric, saturated with my sweat. I had been sleeping but my slumber gave way to an uninvited intrusion from my PTSD brain. The sound of gunshots pierced their way through my ears and into my resting mind. The result? Death of my sleep, and a haunting clatter which is all too familiar. As I pack my laundry bag, I chastise my mind for replaying those unwanted nightmares, but it's useless. I replay and most likely will continue to replay those undesired flashbacks and horrible thoughts. When will it end? Or worse? Will it ever end? Part of me wants to break down and cry. The other part of me wants to grasp this newly filled laundry bag and heave it across the infinitesimal room, small in space, but grandiose in meaning. It is a place where I am damned from finding rest. I choose neither option. Instead, I swallow hard, pick up the laundry bag and sling it over my shoulder and head out the door. I make it about halfway to the laundromat when I realize it's closed. It doesn't open until four. It's in that moment that I let loose a frustrated shout into the night sky. I feel a heavy sense of defeat on my shoulders, which joins the weight of my laundry. I walk over to a local coffee shop, still open at this hour, and get a tea. I go back to my apartment and look at my bed, which is now absent of sheets. I find myself having to sleep on the couch. Although I don't have an upset girlfriend to banish me there... I do have an angry, scarred enemy of a mind that showers me with punitive messages, exiling me to the same fate. Sometimes I wish I could transport myself back to when times were easier, a time before nightmares and PTSD, a time when my mind would think about lighter, happier memories, the good stories, 
That's what I long for. Now blessed with the gift of consciousness, I rag my brain for a pleasant recollection. Anything to make me chuckle. Or at the very least, smile. Then it comes to me. A story I have shared more than once to anyone who would give me an audience. It occurred shortly after I had graduated from basic training. I was to be on a bus at zero dark stupid hours to head to Ontario where I would begin the next phase of my evolution. To get that red cross. Although I would get that red cross, I wouldn't begin my training right away. The younger me had a skeletal physique and a somewhat awkward configuration. Nothing short of a greyhound. I had just finished basic training and was posted to a place called Post-Recruit Educational Training Center, or PRETC. The military loves their acronyms. It was early in the morning and the sun was hanging low in the orange sky. Already the excruciating heat of a looming summer day was making its way through the window. My bunkmates and I were sprawled atop of our thin military-issued mattresses, waiting for the inevitable wake-up call to begin PT, physical training. Conceding to the inescapable, I pried my sticky, sweat-leathered skin from the dampened sheets of the bed, sitting on its edge for a moment before reaching underneath to retrieve my running shoes. On a morning where the sun was already mocking us with its heat, we were due to go running. And run we did. We snaked our way in and out from running paths to bike lanes and back to sidewalks. The humidity surrounded us like a goddamn sauna. Upon returning to the barracks from our miserable morning torture, I hastily made my way to the showers and began reveling in the cool streams of water spraying from the showerhead. After finishing the shower and having a quick bite to eat, it was off to the warehouse, a giant metal structure that housed all of the senior non-commissioned officers, as well as us, the stubble-headed baby troops. This is where we met each day, and where each day the sergeants and master corporals would dish out daily assignments. The tasks could be anything from sweeping the same patch of spotless cement flooring until they said stop, to picking up the desks and moving them to an arbitrary location on the other side of the warehouse. One of the things they used to love to say was, repeat until successful, meaning don't ask if it's good enough, they'll tell you if it is, and they'll let you know when you're finished. After the assignments had been doled out, I was left without a task, which meant that I, along with the other unchosen, was to retreat to a section of the barren warehouse that was made up of some crudely erected office-style cubicles. We were to sit there just in case anything should come up that we may be needed for. I removed my beret, claimed a chair, and settled in for the long wait. Just as you would suspect, there were many days where there was nothing for us to do, so we just sat there. Sat there and counted the cracks in the blue-tinted pavement, or tried to decipher the initials carved into the sides of the well-aged wooden desks, while picturing who they once belonged to. I was in the process of constructing a fable about someone with the initials C.W., when the metal roofing rattled with the sound of a sergeant's booming voice calling for me. I sprang up from my chair and rounded one of the cubicle walls to make myself visible to the hollering sergeant. Hennigan! He demanded. I stood tall and called back to ensure that he knew I had heard his request for a specific private. Yes, Sergeant! On me! Double time! Yes, Sergeant! I hustled over to where the statuesque Sergeant stood waiting for me. I jogged until I was within about an arm's length and then came to a sudden stop while slamming my heel down to the pavement, assuming the position of attention. The clatter of my boot striking the cement flooring gave off a sudden and thunderous boom the sound of discipline. It echoed faintly off the metal walls of the building while I stood at detention waiting further instruction from the stoic sergeant. Warrant wants to see you. 
Follow me. Yeah, yes, Sergeant. My lanky arms and Gumby-like strides kept pace behind the solid gate of the sergeant. We were nearing the office where the platoon warrant was situated. I knew I had done nothing wrong, but my mind couldn't help fabricating possible scenarios. After all, it's not often that the warrant had the need of a face-to-face -face with a private. As we got to a doorframe void of a door itself, I was instructed to stop and stand at attention and wait outside. What the hell did I do wrong? I won't lie. I was now sweating, not only due to the ferocious summer heat, but also due to fear, irrational or otherwise. I stood as rigid as a post. My eyes found a fixed point on the wall across from me, and I bore a hole through it, refusing to blink. After what seemed like an infinitesimal amount of time, the sergeant reappeared in front of me. With his head slightly lowered so as to be able to lock eyes with me, he instructed me that the warrant was ready to see me now. I moved with purpose, discipline, and accuracy as I entered the office, coming to a stop at the position of attention once more. I looked straight ahead of me. I could see the figure of the warrant at the bottom of my gaze, but I did not dare look down. Hennigan? Yes, warrant! Jesus! Don't yell. I have a headache. And a wife. She yells. My daughter, too. Lowering my tone slightly, I responded once more. Uh, yes, warrant. Hennigan, you're not tasked with anything today, are you? Uh, no warrant. Tragedy! A soldier such as yourself should never be without direction or purpose. Let's fix this egregious oversight and misappropriation of resources, shall we? Uh, yes, warrant. Out fucking standing. Follow me, troop. The warrant was a veteran in every sense of the word. He boasted a rust-colored mustache on his upper lip, complete with the ends waxed and curled into hooks. It was also stained with the remains of the copious cigarettes that he had inhaled through his long service to his country. Other than his rank and his appearance, none of the privates knew much about him, so he became a figure of lore, handed down to the newly arriving recruits from the departing ones. By this time, I had heard my share of impossible tales regarding the warrant and his worldly exploits. The warrant walked in front of me, not even bothering to throw a glance over his shoulder to ensure that I was in tow. He knew that I would be. And I was. We walked around the corner of the offices and down a dusty corridor, festooned with flickering lighting high above us, hanging from time-worn beams. He led me to a side entrance that we privates dared not to use, unless otherwise authorized. He leaned in with his left shoulder and hip, forcing the door open. We exited the steel warehouse and walked into the unforgiving inferno outside. Jesus Christ, it's hotter than a sweatbox in Tijuana out here, Hennigan. The warrant bellowed while retrieving a nearly empty pack of cigarettes from his breast pocket. While placing the white-covered tube of tobacco in his mouth, he spoke through pursed lips and said, Hennigan, do you know where your barracks are from here? Feeling slightly confused by the question, I delayed in responding to his query. Hennigan, for the love of God, please tell me you know where you live. Uh, uh yes, uh, yes, warrant. Ah, good, we're halfway there. Hennigan, here's what I need you to do. I want you to, on the double, head back to your shacks, go up to your room, take a shit if you need to, but what I need from you is this. Grab your CBRN suit and gas mask with carrier and come back to me. Understand? Yes, warrant. By now, the warrant had taken a few drags of his newly lit carcinogenic delight, so each time he spoke, plumes of bluish-gray smoke swirled behind his sarcastic delivery. Hennigan, didn't you hear what I said? Go, troop, get! Sh uh, uh, yes, warrant. Like a runner who had just heard the crack of a starter pistol, 
I took off, racing my way through the dense summer heat. It was so hot and muggy that taking a deep breath was almost impossible, lessening my ability to maintain the lightning-like pace I had started with. Now settling into a jog, I followed the winding path from the warehouse to the barracks, which was roughly a five or ten minute jog. But in this ungodly heat, it felt like they were miles apart. After retrieving the requested and somewhat perplexing items from my kit bag in my room, I bounded down the stairs and outside. Once again, I charged forward in a full tilt sprint. I ran the same path as before and eventually made it back to the warehouse. Now drenched in sweat, I found myself standing outside the warrant's office, albeit a little more winded than I had been before. I was once again invited in, this time by the sound of the warrant's gruff baritone. I entered and, as I did before, stood motionless at attention in front of his desk. He looked up at me and spoke with playful wit. Hennigan, relax, would you? You're stressing me out, man. Relax. You look like you're wound tighter than a balloon knot, son. I apprehensively released tension from my shoulders and stood slightly at ease. Hennigan, you know what the CBRN suit is used for, yes? Uh, yes, warrant. Well, don't leave me in suspense, troop. I'm an old man. I could stand here and die before you get a chance to tell me. What's it for? Uh, warrant, the CBRN suit is an issued piece of soldier's essential kit intended to combat the effects and hazards of chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear attack from, from the enemy. After a slight pause and a somewhat bewildered look that slithered across the warrant's face, he responded. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, we all know that. I mean, uh, I do now. <laughs> okay, all that. Plus, follow me. I'll show you. I followed behind the warrant as he led me back through the narrow halls behind the offices. We made our way out into the smoker's area and stood together in the stifling heat. He capitalized on this location by reaching into his pocket and grabbing his vice from its foiled packet. Another cigarette. Hennigan! Mop 2! Now! This was the warrant's order to have me get into the insulated green army issue zip-up suit, designed to be worn in the event of some kind of nuclear war. Without wasting any time, I twitched into action and began grunting my way into this oversized onesie. Mop 2, or the second mission-oriented protective position, meant I was to physically wear everything minus the gas mask and the cumbersome rubber gloves. After dancing in place, I was finally dressed in what the warrant had ordered. After looking at me with a subtle grin, he shouted, Gas! 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 This meant I was to systematically grab the gas mask from the carrier that I was wearing around my waist and throw it on over my head and face in rapid time. In a real-life scenario, delay meant death. This was something that we practiced often. It was also a good way for non-commissioned officers to fuck with us troops, and I couldn't help but feel like I was indeed being fucked with. What a picture I must have been. A nervous and slightly awkwardly thin young man standing outside in the devil's heat, clad from head to toe in an oversized green army-issued suit, which was intended to be worn only in the event of a nuclear or biological attack. It was complete with a standard-issue gas mask, which boasted bulbous eyepieces and a giant canister to the one side of it, completely muffling my voice and severely limiting my ability to intake large amounts of air. Underneath the rubber and plastic mask, I was sweating buckets. My eyes were stinging because of it. I was miserable. I stood in front of the warrant as he continued to inhale from his lit cigarette with no haste at all. The fact that I was the only one standing around like we were being bombed seemed lost on him, but not on those passing by. Hannigan, do you know what I hate? Nah, of course you don't. Forget I asked. 
I'll just tell you, Hennigan, what I hate is an enemy who exploits complacency and weakness within the ranks that I control. I mean, I hate it. It makes me feel like I'm a bad warrant officer. And I don't much think I am, do you? Hennigan, um, don't answer that right now. His speech went on for a while, and it resembled something out of a movie as he paced around on the spot. His hands now securely clasped behind his back, only when he really wanted to get a point across or accentuate something did he release and use one of his hands to cut through the air like a musical conductor. His speech dragged, and to the best of my recollection, went on something like this. So, Hennigan, now that we both agree I am not a bad warrant officer, and likely one of the best, you can understand why a sneaky enemy is so troublesome to me, can't you? I remained reticent, waiting for his monologue of rhetorical queries to continue. Hannigan, answer me. Can you see why? Uh, yeah, yes, yes, Warren. My voice barely broke through the dense rubber insulation cupping my mouth. I likely sounded like a nervous Darth Vader, if you can picture such a thing. Maybe think space balls. Good, okay then. So you will also agree that in the face of a sneaky enemy who is trying to exploit our weaknesses, a quick and concise counterattack would be prudent, and perhaps even effective in thwarting the enemy's foul intentions. Yes? Uh, yes, Warrant. Hannigan, I can barely hear you when it's hot as a brothel in Da Nang out here. Not that I know anything about that, a friend told me. Anyway, I'm going to assume that you're agreeing with what I'm saying, if that's correct. Nod your fucking dome. I did. Good. Hennigan. Hey, Tar. This was the order to quickly spin around 180 degrees. In one skillful motion, I spun around and was confronted by the blank metal outer wall of the warehouse. Hennigan, I want you to relax a little, and I want you to look up. I complied with his request, but it didn't help that the relentless sweat was crippling my eyes from behind the mask. Hennigan. I want you to scan the ledge from where the roof meets the wall. Seen? Uh, seen warrant. Good. Now follow that line to your left until you see the relatively low-hanging section of the roof. Seen? Uh, seen warrant. Out-fucking-standing! You have the vision of a goddamn eagle, troop! Now do me a favor. Scan that sector and tell me what you see. I began to do as he asked. And as I did, I became a little more nervous. I couldn't see anything that shouldn't be there, except maybe a wasp's nest tucked in the corner. It looked like it had been there a while, but that was about it. I continued to scan intently along the area where the roof met the wall, and nothing was obvious. Nothing except that nest and maybe some rust. Hannigan, do you see what I see? Uh, Warren, I, I see, uh... Damn it, troops, speak up! Don't be rude! Don't you know you're wearing a mask and that makes it hard for an old guy like me to hear ya? Uh, Warrant. All I see is a wasp's nest and, uh, maybe some rust, Warrant. Right! You see that fucking nest! Those sneaky, buzzing cunts. Hennigan, does the use of the word cunt offend you or in any way feel like harassment towards you? Uh, no, Warrant. Good, moving on. Hennigan, the enemy has attached themselves to our unit. This will not do. This is something I will not have my building. Hennigan, I brought you out here today because I knew you were the man for the job. When I thought to myself, who the hell could take care of wasp invasion, I wasted no time in coming up with your name. Do you know why? 
slightly baffled at what I was hearing, I responded strongly so as to allow my voice to carry. Uh, no warrant. Well, two reasons, really. It was near the top of my list this morning, and when the sergeant confirmed that you were in the building and otherwise untasked, I thought, perfect! Hennigan is our guy, and make no mistake, troop, you are our guy. Mainly because I don't want to do it, and hell, you're already dressed for the occasion. Works out, right? Yeah. How fortunate. All right, well, I'll leave you to it then. The warrant started to retreat to the building. Sopping wet from sweat and clouded by confusion, I continued to stand there not knowing what to do. Uh, warrant? Uh, what do you, uh, what do you want me to do? I mean, uh, I don't, uh, I don't know what to do. Ah, you do bring up a decent tactical issue, Hennigan. With situational awareness like that, you'll be a master private any fucking day now. After a slight pause and what seemed like an indifferent scan of the area, the warrant walked over to the side door and returned with an old splintered wooden broom. He held it in his right hand and with furrowed brow examined it quickly. Ah, that ought to do nicely. He handed me the dilapidated broom. Christ, Hannigan, you look like a fucking gladiator, a warrior. You look like a killer. I mean, you look ready and willing to wage war. Although you look like you could use a drink. You're quite overdressed for this kind of weather, Hennigan. Oh, well, no point in dwelling on that. You look ready, my boy. Uh, ready for what, Warren? To get it done, to unleash hell, to wage war on those godless insects of perdition. Oh, also, don't leave any of them little cocksuckers around. I hate wasps. I'm not allergic or anything, but... When I'm out here smoking and one of those little yellow cunts start buzzing around me, it makes me start prancing like Tammy on Toonie Tuesdays at Rusty's Gentleman's. Never mind. Just uh, kill them all. With that, the warrant went inside and left me to do his bidding. I waged that battle. And by battle, I mean I swatted awkwardly at the stubborn wasp's nest while encumbered by the oversized gear I was wearing. I swatted and poked that nest with that rickety old broom until I knocked it loose and it fell to the ground. Now filled with a blood rage, I proceeded to slam that nest out of existence. I won't lie, I engaged them as if they really were the enemy, blaming them for my discomfort. When all was said and done, the warrant paraded me in front of everyone and explained that my heroic actions had left Pratt C. just a little safer, and tonight, being a Friday, I was to be taken care of as I was in need of some cold beer. He also went on to tell any soldier who was willing to listen to get me something to eat. He said I looked sickly which, of course, elicited quite the roar of laughter from my fellow brothers and sisters in arms. I did drink that night. I likely drank my weight in beer. I drank and rattled off the story for any and all who would listen. It, too, elicited quite the roar of laughter on a Friday night. I never looked at a wasp's nest the same way again. They truly are my sworn enemy. <laughs>